Merry belated Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Merry belated Christmas. Roman Harper, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Kyle. How are you doing, bro? Good to be back. Uh, it is December 27th? 7th. It, it, we're in that Christmas vortex, the week between Christmas and New Year's, where time doesn't really apply. It doesn't... Uh, yeah, everybody's off. Yeah, man. nobody knows what time it is, what day it is. You know, when's the last time you showered? How many leftovers are still in the fridge? Yeah. You know, do you need to go outside? That, that, that time of year. And when does food actually go bad, Kyle? See, I, that is the real question. I think that I found that out the hard way the other day. It was, uh, yeah, I, I did, I found that out Because everybody's way. afraid of food poisoning. That's yeah. like everybody's worst nightmare. My, my wife uh, is horrified by me sometimes because uh, I, I, I live by myself, you know, with like two or three other dudes for But years. you don't anymore. I don't anymore. <laughs> but like, I, I don't. I didn't used to pay attention to expiration dates maybe as well as I should have. And so, uh, cool. I, I was one of those. I would definitely go past the expiration date. I have, I have developed this. To me, I thought that go. was, yeah, I was, I'm with you yeah. on that. So, like, I, she's like, I don't think you're wrong that's with that. horrible. You're going to get sick. And I'm like, no, in fact, this is how I've built up the immunity <laughs> and uh, the immune system that I have because I've just eaten a lot of things that were questionable. Sometimes you have to take some risks in life. I mean, I'm it's not a gross just way to start the show. I apologize. <laughs> I'm not out here eating moldy bread and rotten meat, folks. Okay, I'm not. I'm not dumpster diving or anything like that. No judgment. Yeah, I was like, Kyle, I don't know where this. Went. I don't they, either, man. <laughs> I don't either. So, how was Christmas? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, was it was Christmas? good, man. Um, my wife's family's in town. Um, really been enjoying them. They're awesome. Um, there, it's their first time from the reservation. Well, some of them. Uh, my the the young nephew, his name's Mason. Yeah. He uh he first of all he loves football. This dude. Yeah. He sleeps. Oh, my gosh. I wish my kids loved So they're football. coming down from South Dakota. South Dakota, South, yes. Yeah, that's right, South Dakota. Yes, in Mission, South Dakota, on Rosebud Reservation. Have you been able to, to explore up there much when you've gone up there? Have you gone out just uh, you know seeing the countryside? I, that's an area of the country that I haven't spent as much time as I want to, and I want to go up there for like a month one day. So I want to go to Montana. but Me too. But um, Although I think that's becoming like it's – have you noticed Wyoming that, too. Well, the new TV shows that are out. There's that one uh, on ABC – with Ryan Phillippe, Philip, mm-hmm. Philip, Felipe, Philippe, what is I it? Don't know. I, I, well, there's that one, but there's also Yellowstone, which is the which was the most watched show of 2020. So my wife has started to her and her cousin. So her cousin Nikki, who's also here in town, she is explaining to them because uh, Heather wants to get into it. Because a lot of people, I, my neighbors and people have asked Heather because she's Native American um, about Yellowstone. Has that has she been seeing it? All these other things, and Nikki has been watching it, and Heather has not. So. It is uh, on our YouTube uh, cable, so I, I think she's going to start getting into it. I've been hearing about it. I didn't know it was that, though. No, so, I've like, heard a lot of uh, – not a lot, but I've heard of it. It's, it's a, well, the reason I brought it up is that, like, Montana's becoming the sort of in vogue place to go these days. <laughs> well, and because, like, it was, it's always been seen as the frontier, and it is the frontier. It's really mm-hmm. the last remaining frontier in America, but, you know, there's a lot of New York types, Wall Street types, L.A. types. You know, Montana has become the cool place to go and, you know, build a house. And, you know, where else is co- – uh, I think Utah is kind of like yeah. that, too these days post malone built this massive mansion i didn't know this until i watched uh, an episode he did with rogan built a massive mansion out in the, the the desert of utah and that's just his place and he went on the rogan podcast wearing a utah utes hat he's a big utes fan now apparently post malone this guy so like utah montana you're seeing a lot of wealthy like entertainers and wall street types buying up uh you know real estate up there it's pretty wild yeah man i've seen just on some social media about I mean, certain plots of land in Utah for like twenty, thirty million dollars. You're just like, man, yeah, it's a, it's incredible. <laughs> but I, I want to go up there. I like my. I want to go fly fishing up there. I'd love to go hunting up there. Uh, my best friend. Fly fishing is really hard, right? 
Yeah, I, I practiced as a kid. So my, my grandfather left me, uh, or gave me a fly fishing pole, left me another one after he passed. And, and I would, when I was a kid for a while, I tried to practice in the front yard, you know, just trying to get it down. Um, I loved to fish when I was a kid, but I didn't have the patience to teach myself fly fishing. My dad was never a fly fisherman. He liked to, to, to fish, but never fly fishing. And I, I tried to teach myself, but uh, never got it down. But my buddy, my best friend, uh, was stationed out in Colorado for about eight, eh, about eight years in the Army. And so he did a lot of fly fishing and hunting and, and hiking out in, in Colorado, Wyoming, just the whole area out there. Yeah. And that's something I want to do. I've actually talked to uh, Del Curry about this, which will bring me to Steph Curry being ridiculous and just an otherworldly alien here in a second. But Del Curry, who uh, famous Charlotte Hornets, Steph Curry's dad, does uh, TV for the Hornets still. Uh, Del's a big hunter. He's a big outdoorsman. And so Del was out in Utah hunting, uh, I want to say about – I don't know, less than a year ago that, that he was telling me about a trip that he was going out on. And that's just, if you like outdoors type stuff, if you like to hunt, that's the kind of place that you have to go at least once to go check it out. Right. Really? Yeah. I, I want to go check it out because I'm some of those, streams, I don't hunt though. That's my thing. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, dude, you were an NFL safety. Something tells me you could, uh, the mindset is there if you were ever interested in doing it. Not that you have to, or that you should. I just mm -hmm. think, I think, uh, I mean, you used to hunt heads every once in a while, not in a bad way, not in a malicious way, but, uh, you know, you, you, I got in that zone. You got in that zone. <laughs> I, I think you would lock in pretty well. I, I, I've, I've definitely aimed down a scope or two. Yeah. I would love to do that. So, yeah, no, it, it'd be a really cool To trip. me, it'd be more about the challenge of actually shoot. I, I wouldn't say I'm against hunting at all. I, I definitely, I would love to go. I just have never, not, I didn't grow up in a family that hunted, so. Well, I, not to get into something too deep about that, but I, hunting's a way of life for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. And, and it still should be a way of life that people can choose and live freely. And, and that's something that should be protected and preserved. So I, I, I wholly believe in being able to hunt, to eat, and to live off the land. No and doubt. All that. I mean, matter of fact, it's a healthier choice for a lot of people. I, I don't love certain kind. I, I hate trophy hunting. Um, I, I abhor trophy hunting. I oh, think yeah. it's uh, an excuse. You know, they use conservation reasons and things like that to, to excuse shooting giraffes and, you know, exotic animals. I can't, I, I've never been able to get behind that. But, you know, hunting as, as a... It's crazy. Crack, it's, yeah, it's I, an important I, thing. Some people are really into different things. But my, my wife, and not trying to go, well, this is the last thing on this, then we can go to Steph Curry. But <laughs> my, uh, I don't, we went way too far. We was on Christmas. I would have told you my oh, favorite. Oh, coming back to Christmas. Okay, good. And, um, but no, my wife, is she's like so pro about that part of it cow that she wants to make sure she takes our kids to see like uh a cow be slaughtered because she's like you need to know where your food comes from and you need to see this so you respect it that much more and you just don't like oh it's just what we do is just eat and that. like no 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 you need to see these things so then you learn to appreciate them oh yeah and the whole process in which it comes and uh she is like so hardcore about that so that's that's one of the and again you're right we're going in the rabbit hole but that's one of the reasons that even though he's come under fire for certain things and there's been some controversies here and there I, I do still appreciate Joe Rogan for bringing that into light because for some people there's this belief that you know hunting should be a bygone way of of living and you know it shouldn't be. some people don't a lot of people unfortunately don't understand it but for a lot of people it's not just a, a more humane and clean and healthy way of doing things it is a way of life and that's how they live and mm -hmm. that's not something that I, I, f I think we've lost touch with that in a lot of ways over the years I mean the last couple of decades and so I, I just uh yeah, it's cool. So I know some people that have gone out west and done some really cool trips. I want to get up there and do that. Bringing it back to Christmas, though, because this is the, the episode two days after Christmas here. What would you get for Christmas? Or did, did you? 
Um, this is about the kids. You got four little ones now. So do you? Uh, yeah, man. Is dad I, getting ties? Is dad getting? No, slippers? no, no. What's dad um, getting? I got some. I got some. Some pretty nice things. Good uh, for you. Yeah, man. I I can't really. Yeah, it's more stuff like that. I got a a really nice workbook that I can work out of, from my my in laws and and that side of the family it was really nice. The Something I can good. appreciate. You know what I mean? We had a quiet Christmas at yeah. the Bailey household. Yeah. No, we. Uh, my kids got way too many toys. My son, he's way too bad. <laughs> I told him Santa should have gave him some coal, bro. This like, is, this there's is no way he should have got that much. This is my last Christmas, you know, as a, you know, I mean, she's seven and a half months pregnant, so the baby's here. But, you know, next year will be my first wake up, you know, with a kid, and Christmas is going to be a little bit different. I didn't even put up a Christmas tree this year. My wife's going to kill me for saying that. We didn't <laughs> even put up a Christmas tree this year. We just didn't do it, man. It's, Kyle. It's not for, like, Scrooge reasons. I, just, I, I was like, Kyle, but that's like, that's like one baby step away from Scrooge. I, I know that. But, like, you got to understand that, like, you got to have a tree up. We're bro. still in the middle of like renovating this house because we bought a fixer upper. Bro, you could have got like a twenty-five dollar. But here's the thing, man. On top of that, now with the baby coming, I got I got baby strollers, I got cribs, yeah. I got everything. So my my house is overflowing with stuff, and it's sort of an abnormal Christmas for a lot of people. So we were just like, you know what? We're gonna buy a new tree next year. We're gonna do it right. The kid's gonna be here. So like next year, we're gonna launch into every year we're doing Christmas right. But this year it was just eh. We're just going to chill because we're not going to see anybody for Christmas this year. We just hung We just hung back. Kyle, this is extremely funny. I ate tacos. I ate quesadillas uh, on Christmas, <laughs> Roman. I ate quesadillas. It was amazing. I took the dogs on a hike. I ate quesadillas. <laughs> I binge-watched Manhunt. On, dude, I, I had a me and her Christmas, and it was awesome. It was awesome. We did whatever the hell we wanted, dude. It was great. And I miss my family. Don't get me wrong. We FaceTimed with them for like an hour each, but like I was cool, man. I was, I was good on Christmas. You know what? This Kyle, let me tell you something. You should enjoy this Christmas. Let me I, tell you why. Why is that? Because you don't get those Christmases anymore, bro. Yeah. All right? From now on, man, you're going to have semi-Christmases like I have, which is all about the kids, <laughs> and it's no longer about you, Kyle. No, I get so it. So you get don't it. get to do what you want to do from any here okay. on out. All right, fair so, enough. So, yeah, so for you, man, enjoy this. You deserved it. It sounds like a, a nice, great time with your old lady. We did. We, we, we binge-watched Manhunt because I, I want to get to Y'all sitting on the couch and just hanging. Everybody's looking for stuff to watch, right? So we're, we're binge-watching Manhunt yesterday on Christmas, or two days ago on Christmas, and I brought this up to you. It's a great show. It's, uh, it's basically retelling the stories, the first two seasons of the Centennial Park bombing in Atlanta at mm -hmm. the 96 Olympics. And then the second, I think it's the second season, is the uh, Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Phenomenal TV. Phenomenal TV. So recommend that to anybody out there. Did you, how, you, how old were you during the Olympic Park bombing? Was it, or the, the Centennial Park bombing? When that, 96, 96 right? Yeah. I was, 10. I was what 14 I was 10 years old so do you remember much of that when you were a kid like the coverage like, and talking about it so like yes but it was in Atlanta Georgia so it was kind of close but it was the Olympics it finally got to the I just knew it was something about dude left a bag in a park it you should watch it because I mean I was like you I was a kid it was like a crazy man I didn't too, remember right? that much about the coverage of it so like I, right I wasn't like I was watching the news like that and so then years later I'm in grad school and I'm doing all this research on previous Olympics and World Cups and like other mega global sporting events and so I ended up rereading re the history of the Atlanta bombing then and so I'd known it fairly recently as of about four or five years ago so when we saw it was on I was like we got to watch this and reliving it back then 
the, Richard Jewell was the guy's name. He was a, uh, a security guard, a part-time security guard working the Olympics. He was a former cop who had some issues, I think, you know, in his personal life, but had been fired from the force. He was a, a part-time security guard. Just, the tra- I guess, his training, he saw a bag. It looked suspicious. He told law enforcement, and I guess he'd been a nuisance to them for some time, and so they weren't really all that inclined to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. But they, fi- they begrudgingly looked into it, and sure enough, they check it. Holy shit, that's a bomb. And so he ended up saving the lives of hundreds of people by notifying them and getting... And there were still people who got hurt. Like right, right, really, right. Really injured. And, and so he did the right I didn't thing. Even, I didn't even realize that. But here's the thing. and Because he had a bit of a checkered history, because you know he was a little slower and, and other things, and I, I don't want to ruin the show for anybody, but mm-hmm. it's, it's history. Um, they, they saw him as a suspect, even though he was the guy who saved a lot of lives. And right. so that was, they were investigating him. And Kathy Scruggs of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who ended up dying years later from a, a heroin overdose, she got word or got wind from her sources that they were looking at Richard Jewell as a suspect. She, she reported it in the AJC, and his name was leaked. And it, I mean, they, his life became unbearable. There was press outside of his house. He lived with his mother. He was absolutely convicted in the media before he ever got a chance to go to court. Right. And then, as it turns out, ATF, you know, two guys from ATF were uh, looking at working on a series of other bombs, including one at an abortion clinic down in Alabama. And what they realized was they were looking at two separate bomb incidents that had the same bomb signature as the Olympic Park bombing. And so the FBI is convinced that they're telling everybody out there that they've got their guy, Richard Jewell. They've already fixed it. So they've got their guy. This is a big deal. But instead, it's this guy, Eric Rudolph, who's been bombing abortion clinics. And, and uh, he bombed, I forget what the second bombing was. And he was this you know, far right-wing extremist, uh, kicked out of the military, former special forces, you know, out in the western North Carolina frontier in the Nantahala Forest, mm-hmm. which is the size of Rhode Island. And it's just thick, thick forest. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of militias out there that have been around in some cases since the Civil War. And so the FBI goes on this months-long, uh, you know, just canvassing of the Nantahala Forest trying to find Eric Rudolph once they... Oh, the, dude, the story is incredible. And so eventually Richard Jewell gets exonerated. It takes him seven years. They didn't find Eric Rudolph until 2003 when he was caught dumpster diving, eating rotten meat behind a Taco Bell, and a beat cop found him and arrested him. Seven years later, after they started looking for him, they found him in a dumpster eating rotten Taco Bell meat, and that's how they finally caught him, and and he was taken and sentenced, and of course, he's in prison, and he's in prison in Colorado in a federal penitentiary. The max one, right? The super max one, right? He lives across the hall from Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, in the same federal penitentiary. Absolutely, these I'm telling you, these no, those are the ones that's that, that one super max, like the most highest one that we have in America, Absolutely. right? That one, right? That's the where one they that's house in, the worst of the worst, right? right, right. Like yep. it's like unseen, unheard, like you never, you can't even see the light of day, right? It's like Absolutely. that one, right? No doubt about it. Man. <laughs> yeah, I've read it. I saw so, it. When you go back and watch like the media coverage and how CNN handled it and how Kathy Scruggs became this, you know, superstar investigative journalist only to find out that her case was, you know, falling apart. She was unethical as shit trying to frame him. Even once she found out she was wrong, she was, you know, they were suing her, suing yeah. the paper. Richard Jewell sued the hell out of every news outlet. They all settled with him except for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They refused to admit any fault, and, late, and years later, I think Kathy Scruggs died of a heroin overdose. So it's, uh, that show is incredible, and I would recommend I it I have to watch it's this show. It's phenomenal. But you and I have both seen a recent show on HBO 
also incredible. And you looked at me when I walked in and said, we have to talk about The Undoing on HBO. So what did yes. you think about The Undoing on HBO? So my boy's been telling me I need to watch this for a while. And, and then I'm, my wife and I started watching it because he said I need to watch it with everybody. So I, um, I got into it. Dude, it was really good. And it kind of had you going, all right, well, initially you thought, all right, my wife is always good in these shows. So initially, watching halfway through the first episode, she's like, oh, well, the husband did it, blah, 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 blah. He's sleeping with the girl. I'm like, so she called it off the top. Off top. Boom. Wife called it. It so was then, too obvious. Right. That, that was the thing. Was that was the obvious. thing. That was the thing, right? It was like, so then you go on this journey, and then you start to believe it's everybody else. Like, was it her father? Was it her father? Did she do it? Then it's like, the kid didn't do it. There's no way the kid did it. You know what? I really think it's her husband. I, I thought it was, but I thought it was the kid before she did that. And so when, the, when they ended the episode with her opening up the violin case with the hammer in it, I'm like, well, Convinced. shit, that's too obvious. Now, I, I thought it was the kid already, but now it can't be the kid. So by the time I'm going into the last episode, I got no idea who it is. But my mom is like, it, my mom is calling us. She's FaceTiming. It's got to be him. It's, 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 it's Hugh Grant. It's got to be him. So, yeah, dude, that sh they did really, really good work. It, Donald Sutherland was great in that show. Uh, I thought it was good, man. It HBO's was, done some good stuff. And then the best part to me was, first of all, the lawyer was awesome, all right? She was handling her business. Business. <laughs> business. <laughs> business. I mean, she, I mean, she had it locked up. I'm like, I mean, it says with all. With all due respect. Yeah, well, not all with <laughs> no, due respect, kidding. but. Um, uh, beyond a shadow of doubt, like right? You, you exactly. Gotta have, you gotta have. It's not just about is he guilty or innocent. That's not. I, I feel like I feel bad talking about the show because yeah, there are people out there that I'm sure part. haven't seen it. But like, never mind. I no, will but, not but go you're right. Like, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But that's an incredible show, man. It was. It was very good. That is an incredible show. All right, that's here another one. Here we are, 18 minutes into this podcast, and Roman and I, by the way, are sitting here Sunday, December 27th, and we're watching as we talk right now. We're we're 17 minutes into. The uh, the one o'clock slate of games in the NFL. So we're gonna if, if we you know if we break something or scream about something, it's because we have football on in front of us. Uh, this is, I I can't believe. I mean, well, let me take that back. I can believe, but it's still a pretty amazing thing that we've gotten to this point in the NFL season, and they've played all the games. Every game that needed to have been played at this point has been played. I wasn't sure that we'd make it here. But here we are, you know, Sunday, what is this, week 16. And, you know, they've, they've done it for the most part. Like, they have been able to do this without putting them in one singular bubble like the NBA did, like hockey did. Uh, you know, they've been problems, don't get me wrong. And they've, mm -hmm. they've done some things that are maybe a little bit questionable, made some decisions that didn't necessarily add up or weren't very consistent. But, I mean, they're here, and they haven't had any serious fallout from the first 16 weeks of what they've done here. No, man, I, I think they've handled it the best of their ability. I think they've done a really good job of the players buying in as well. I think everybody's trying to make sure they get through the season uh, healthy and, and doing what's best for each other. And I, I, I'm witnessing it. It's really good. It's, a, it's what you have, man, when people actually care about each other too. Like, do you actually care about the net person beside you's health? Oh, yeah. And their concerns, your concerns. And uh, it's been good, man. I've I really been proud of the NFL, but the way they went about their business. I mean – I mean, I can't say – I got to say it, though. Dwayne Haskins getting caught in the strip club with no mask oh, on. Oh, buddy. I mean, like, 
like bro yeah, man like that's not even something that you can politicize i mean there were, there will still be people that politicize it because it's covid and masks and stuff but like that's the nfl's protocol <laughs> you know what you can and can't do if yeah, you want to play on like, sunday like, you know and, you can and you did it anyway and you did it in a place where you knew people might have phones cameras social media everybody's got it like that was really dumb it was a, and i get it he's a young guy made a mistake we all make mistakes but that's the kind of mistake that you probably shouldn't make. It's kind of like showing up to the NFL Combine and, and testing positive for wheat. You had months to you, you knew months ahead of time. You got to. You know, it doesn't up. matter how any of us feel about you know archaic rules or state laws or anything. You know they're going to test you, yeah. and you know you can't test negative or test positive rather. And you still decided to do that anyway. <laughs> it's it, you just got to make some some decisions sometime in life, and that's kind of what this is too with Dwayne Haskins. Like you had the option to say no thanks, I'm going to stay home, but you chose the other way. Kyle, not only that. But you can call the strippers to your crib. You're a first rounder. <laughs> I mean, let me give you the real answer to this, Kyle. It's not. Give me the real answer. Oh, you should stay home and for the rules. All right, that's cool. But he's also a 22 year old young man. I don't know if he has people. I don't care. But I just know 22 year old me. What you do is you call the the strippers. To the crib. Like, that's the answer. I, I'll never understand why more players don't utilize <laughs> that privilege. I don't understand it, Kyle. Like, I it's get easily it. doable. I really don't get it because they'll give you every possible resource to make sure you don't get in trouble. Doesn't the NFLPA <laughs> literally have a hotline where you can call to get a, a driver or a ride service? Yes, they do. I think they do, right? I mean, that was a couple, yes, they do. maybe a couple years ago. They do, but Just, I, I mean, mean, I don't know if it's still because nobody ever used it because they felt like why? Because you're gonna, they're going to track you. Yeah, they're gonna have that's records. what everybody. I felt. get, I get nobody, it. I do. I understand that. But nobody like, feels if safe. If you're in a, such like, a bad nobody, spot that all you need is a ride and you you didn't do anything wrong, just pick up the phone and you. Use it. Yeah. If, if you got nothing to hide, just pick up the phone and use it. Don't be the guy that gets popped for a DUI or gets but that was just stupid. I'm just glad I got in and out. Yeah. I'm not gonna sit up here and act like I didn't drink and drive well, at times. I mean, we've, we've again, we've all made mistakes. And, yes. We've all made mistakes. It, uh, I, I didn't have Uber though either. I think Ubers should be a game changer. That's the for one, see, but that's the thing too that like again, you and I are on that line where we're young enough that we understand everything that's happening, you know, technologically around mm -hmm. us, but we're old enough to still remember the way that things used to be done <laughs> and how much easier some things would have been for us and people like us if we had some of these modern luxuries like calling an Uber anytime you needed to go somewhere, you know, like calling, uh, you know, DoorDash if you're sick or I mean, literally anything. And, and they, again, I guess that's just a part of, of growing up. I don't, I don't envy these kids, man, growing up with, with some of this stuff. I don't envy these, these guys living their entire lives. And some of it's by choice, don't get me wrong, but living through the lens of social media every single day. And that's the only thing you know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, not weird, but it's just who they, this generation, how they're going to grow up. Um, talking about that, shoot, I'm, um, my wife and I got my daughter a, uh, a watch, like a, so she can, like, call and talk on it really mm -hmm. like a, like an iPhone. yeah yeah yeah. Okay. so she has her own phone number now no. she doesn't have a phone she only has a watch so that's an option that's an option now see that's cool that's the that, that's one of the upsides of technology where you right. can give them something that they can have that exactly is so useful makes you feel better as a parent you don't have to get her a phone but she have a nice watch then all she needs is wi-fi or anything yeah. that she can plug like as long as it's a service yeah she can have it and it'll just be a watch and then she can talk on it you know what's she, crazy? I mean, she only has like five numbers and it's all in her 
you know what's crazy though? Going back to that with the manhunt thing, I know I'm, I'm kind of. Isn't all that over cool? The place. Like we saw movies like that where like kids like talked on the, like a watch. But that's what's <laughs> nuts about it. So when, like I'm, we're watching the manhunt thing the other night, and we're we we finished the first series on the Atlanta bombing. Then we get to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, and this guy was a Harvard grad. You know, brilliant guy had an IQ of 168. I mean, just a brilliant human being. But even then, he was. I think it was the his. And the ta- thing is, when when was the Unabomber? It was well, it was over a 17 year period. He, he sent 16 bombs um, over a 17-year period to and the, the UNA and Unabomber comes from universities and airlines. So it's UN for universities and A for airlines. And he would send bombs not to people he personally knew, but to people and to destinations that represented what he hated. And even from the, you know, the 70s on into the 90s when he was, you know, doing this, he was writing his manifesto was like industrial society and its future, I think, was the name of it. And he writes about how technology is taking over our lives and about how we're submitting to technology and about how we're watched everywhere we go. This was in the 70s, late 70s, 80s and 90s. He was writing these things. Mm-hmm. And here we are in 2020. Literally everything we do is attached to the end of our hand. We can do anything with mm-hmm. the thing in our hand. And part of why he was doing that. You know, this was a Harvard grad, Ph.D., brilliant guy living in a shack in Lincoln, Montana, in the middle of nowhere. And he foraged and he hunted like he did not. He read. He didn't have electricity. He had no running water like this was how he lived. And so he was a brilliant guy, but he was deranged. And come to find out. And again, I don't feel bad spoiling this because this is history. This is these are things that, you know, we've known for a long time and were reported. But he was tortured by um, his department and his I think his, his advisor in Harvard, they were partnering with the CIA on mind control experiments, and they brought their most brilliant students in, and he was one of them, Ted Kaczynski, and they submitted them to actual torture attached to electrodes and everything else and broke them down mentally and completely destroyed them for the CIA's benefit as part of a mind control study. And so Ted Kaczynski was <laughs> fucked from the beginning. Oh, my god! And so ne- then over 17 years, he's sending bombs. He, he put one on an airline attached to an altimeter that was set to explode when the plane got to 20,000 feet. He sent them to universities. He, I mean, it was horrible what he did. You know, but that goes back to the technology thing where he was railing about this. People got to watch Manhunt. That's the point. Getting back to it, your kids got a cool watch. And I think that's one of the upsides of technology. And it's one of the trade-offs we make for all the ways in which technology is completely fucked over humanity. Yes. To bring it all and put a bow on it, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle Bailey. I was trying to bring it back because we're I, I, I'm with you. trying to keep it between the navigational beacons. I'm just... I I mean, I'm not a technology guy. I'm the first to admit this. It's just crazy to me how far we've come in a short amount of time. Right. That's the thing that most people don't understand. And that's been the millennial experience that you and I've had that I, you know, where every generation's had a different set of experiences that shaped who they are. Right. And I grew up in two of them. Exactly. But that's what makes the, you know, those in our, like our age in their, their thirties, especially late twenties and early forties, we have literally seen both sides of the digital revolution and how it's sped up everything and how in the last 20 years, when the last 20 years, the year 20, 2000 hit for those that didn't have to like that really had to I was older than I was 17 right. or 18 right so I was concerned with my 
my date of birth, would it roll over or my social security number? Like that was like a big thing. Yes. Uh, because the computers, like, was it going to crash? And what, computers the Z- and the internet. And, right. And the All way this is that so it, like, brand new. We saw it really grow in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, right? It was coming then. Yeah. But it connected the whole world in the last 20 years. Every yes, industry, every country, I mean, mm-hmm. everything. And it changed the way everything is done. I mean, it changed the, the, the cultural fabrics of society. And so I don't know what it was like to, to grow up in uh, the, the, era, the period of World War One. You know, I don't know what it was like for somebody's great great grandmother to witness the first, you know, automobile proliferation where people started buying cars and where, you know, World War One came around and they thought the world might be ending or, you know, the Great Depression. Like everybody's been through some shit. And I don't it's not that I think that our generations had it worse than anybody necessarily. It's just nobody else can relate to the way we've grown up and what we've seen over the past 25 years. It's been uh, it's been wild. Definitely game changing. It's been really wild, including, by the way, including, by the way, sports. Sports are nothing like they were when we were growing up in a lot of ways. I was thinking about that the other day, too, because like I'm doing, you know, Charlotte Hornets pre and post game here uh-huh. because it, for anybody who doesn't know at this point, Roman and I are in Charlotte. And so I was uh, I was thinking about that as I was watching some old clips of the NBA not just last night. It's everything about sports has changed too. in some ways. It's good. Some ways it's bad. Like. I miss I miss seeing the uh, dominant miss? big man. Do you do in you miss the NBA? It? You miss the dominant big man. I do miss that. I wish you know what I mean. I do like the um, I, I I like people that do shoot. I like the three part the three ball being a part of the NBA. I really do, but it's almost gotten to where now that's all they do. There's like there's that, no skill in it in so, a sense. I'm, well, it is skill to be able to shoot. This is but per- it's almost like the players are less skilled than they were in the 80s and 90s when it comes to basketball. They're bigger, more athletic, yep. Well, but their skill is not as high in the sense of like it's being not, able to, uh, I don't know, like what the ball, what basketball used to look like, the mid-range exactly. and stuff. Exactly. It used to be more defined, right? You had a clear point guard. You, right. Everybody had a, a shooting guard. Right. Everybody had a big man, right? Everybody had a power forward. Everybody had a small forward. Yeah. You know, everything was more defined. So to your point, today, <laughs> it's a lot of positionless basketball, right. free-flowing basketball. The spacing's better. Every Well, I was going to say everybody can shoot. That's not true. Everybody's <laughs> expected to be able to shoot on the floor. Whereas, right. you know, back then when you and I were coming up, Bill Cartwright wasn't shooting many 25-footers. They're like, if, what's he if doing? If he did, Phil was taking him off the floor, no, right? No. So that was not his job. So all that's changed. But that goes back to the analytics thing, too, that you were talking about uh, or the, you know, the threes and freeze. Because my brother and I were talking about this. And I, we got to get my brother on the show one day on the podcast. He just pushed out a new ebook uh, with training drills. He's gotten yeah. really creative during COVID because he can't train in his facility with kids and with, you know, big groups the way that he was. Mm-hmm. So my brother just put out his first ebook uh, with 35 training drills for, shout out. Give him a little shout for out increasing quick, velocity. Huh? Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a pitching coach. He pitched uh, professionally in the A's organization. And so he's got his first ebook out. And, you know, we were talking about that, you know, just the other day. And, you know, he brought that up. And what, what's the word I'm looking for here? We were just talking about. Um, the what? We were just, what's the word I'm looking for? We were just talking about it. The positionless basketball? Yes. And so, and you know, we, we were talking about analytics. And uh-huh. in baseball, it's a little bit different. But Theo Epstein, not that long ago, the guy who stepped away from the Cubs, he brought the Sox and the Cubs World Series yeah. titles. I mean, this guy's a Hall of Famer, maybe the greatest executive He said it was starting time. to mess it he up. He said that they've, done, they've gone too far with analytics. <laughs> yeah, they've gone too far. They've gone too far. Remember, remember Tim Kirkson, who I love listening to. Love it. I love it. He went crazy after the, the World, World Series. Series. He, exactly. like, lost it. He, was, he said, we have completely 
we've we've lost it. lost it and that's we Kirchin. have no feel Kirchin's like the nicest most he is, totally, he is. and I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful like he's a company man like he's just I, there to I, talk I, baseball but he went in he loves the game of baseball yes, though and yes, that's the one thing you don't question about him is that his love for or passion for baseball and when he said it it was so real it was raw I I thought it was hilarious because he was like because I thought it was just me I was like why they take the picture out <laughs> Like, dude was Everybody dealing. Everybody thought that. Blake Snell was dealing that Dealing. Night. I'm like, bro, the, the Dodgers have no chance because this guy is dealing. And they didn't let him pitch through it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and back – can you imagine? I mean, just imagine back in the day. Greg Maddox, oh. John Smoltz, Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens. give up Clemens. one hit? Imagine telling those guys that, you know, they gave up a hit, they might have walked somebody, but otherwise they've been dealing for five <laughs> innings and you're not going to give them a chance to work out of a jam. They would have gone ballistic. They might have punched the, the, the pitching coach. They might have punched the manager right there on the mound. Like, right. I, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's not the way it used to be. And that I wanted to cry when Theo Epstein said that because it, if he had to be the one to say it, Theo Epstein had to be the one to say it so people would pay attention. Because I love nerds. Nerds are great. Analytics, data analytics, it's important to so many different things across the world. It's literally shaping the way that the future is for humanity. It's killing sports. It's not doing sports any favors because it's sucking the soul out of the game. Well, yeah, it's so – but – but then you got people that love it, right? How, am I am I hot? Am no, I you're, you're good. You're good. You're so, good. So I love the fact that you're dialed in though to our, our levels to make sure this is an a, an enjoyable audio experience for our listeners. Man. I love that diligence, Kyle, dude. I'm all in. Anyway, I'm proceed. In. My bad. Thank you, my brother. Go right there. So I, I love how we both agree with that, like the numbers and the the analytics. But then. As we're watching, like, any pregame show, all right, they show what percentages this team's going to have a chance to win. Right. Who has this much percentage of points? Because that's how people can relate it to. Sure. To, to, for those that don't know the X's and O's, oh, I can look at some numbers, though, and say, all right, well, this equals that. You, that- you have some – you literally in Major League Baseball right now have, a, I think, a couple of guys who are pitching coordinators for entire organizations that never played past Sandlot Baseball. <laughs> Pitching coordinators, right? Because they're attached to the uh, the numbers. How do you tell somebody to pitch? How to pitch when you've never pitched? Because before? they're focused on spin rate, you know, an arm slot. And I mean, my my brother works with this Rapsodo technology, and it's really interesting, fascinating stuff. Like Trevor Bauer, who just won the NL Cy Young Award. Um, he's very into this stuff. He's a very scientific guy. I think his dad was a, a nuclear physicist or something out or something. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. So he's incorporated a lot of that, but more so, I think, into his training and the way that, you know, he goes about building himself as an athlete, less so that he's an advocate of just drowning baseball in sabermetrics and advanced analytics. And they just have to – Mookie Betts is one of the most electrifying athletes in all of sports. But because the way the game gets played sometimes, he doesn't get to showcase that. Now, he did in the World Series because Mookie just shouldn't be a home run hitter. Mookie shouldn't be a guy that, you know, shows how fast he is running down a fly ball in the alley. Mookie was on the base path creating havoc yes, in the World Series, stealing bases, making pitchers uncomfortable. Mookie Betts, that, that's what Epstein said. we got to let these guys put their athleticism on display because these guys are phenomenal athletes, and you're turning them into home run and strikeout robots, and that's all they get to be half the time. Yeah. So do you feel okay with this shift? Eh, I, 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 don't, I, don't love the, like, I don't love the idea of banning the shift. I, I think if you really want to bring back the spirit of baseball and, and have them play the game the way it was intended to be played, I don't think you ban the shift. I think you force guys to, to hit opposite field. I think you force guys to lay down bunts and play the game. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying the game can't right. evolve You're or right. get better, but I don't, I don't have any interest in banning the shift. Just play baseball. 
Yeah. Pl- stop telling your nine hitter to, that, that uh, you know, his launch angle is more important <laughs> than getting on base, man. Exactly. I just don't understand it. So, like, <laughs> analytics are cool sometimes because, like, last week, was it, was it last week the Panthers game where Matt Rule kicked a field goal on first down? Last week, Matt I'll, I'll tell you another analytic thing. Go ahead. But, but that's the kind of stuff. What did they that, do? What did he do? So, so the Panthers were down, I think it was 21 to – or 24 to 13. And they had just picked up a big – it was a big completion from Teddy Bridgewater to, uh, uh, to DJ Moore. And it put them in field goal range. And there was about 2.04 left on the clock. So the two-minute warning was coming up. First and 10 from about the 20, 25-yard line. First and 10, Matt Rule kicks the field goal to make it 24-16. Because at that point, they needed to stop um, – who the hell were they playing? I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, they needed to win the game. Well, but they needed to win the game, exactly. And so that two-minute convert – so the, the uh, two-minute warning effectively gave them an extra timeout. And so he kicked the field goal, made it a one-possession game, and gave himself effectively an extra timeout with a two-minute warning. And it worked because Brian's, Brian Burns got that big sack on third and four mm-hmm. on Aaron Rodgers. That's what it was, Aaron Rodgers. And they got the ball back with a chance to go tie it up. Now, they didn't do it. But they got the ball back down eight with a chance to score and get the two-point conversion to tie it up. That's the sort of, hey, you know, analytically influenced decision that I can get on board with. A lot of people were saying, well, you've got to try to score. You've got to be aggressive. Well, you still two, you got to have two possessions. That makes sense to me. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ma- that strategically, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But there are other situations in football, you know, where we'll use the Panthers again as an example here locally, where a couple of weeks ago they're down by, uh, what was it? They scored a touchdown. So they were down by 15. They scored a touchdown, fourth quarter, about nine minutes to go. Score a touchdown, they're down nine. And they elect to go for two. Instead of kicking the extra point and making it a one-possession, you know, eight-point game, they try to go for two. Because the analytics playbook tells you that if you get it, you're down seven, you increase the odds, the, the, the odds jump significantly that if you can get the ball back, you can win the game. Now, it doesn't mean you're suddenly going to win it, but the odds increase that if you get the two there – You've either increased your odds or you know exactly how many possessions you need to come back and win it. So at the same time, str- so like, that's exactly what happened in the SEC championship game, the Florida-Alabama one. Exactly. But some coaches do it. Some coaches don't. Two weeks later, Matt Rule didn't do it in, in, a very, in the same situation with a couple of minutes more left on the clock. He didn't do it. Why? And that's my question. <laughs> what does the analytics playbook say then? Is it about outside nine minutes? Is it inside ten minutes? I don't I, know. I don't know either, Kyle, because somebody had to explain it to me. And there's right? no real playbook. They don't share these things. Each organization <laughs> does things differently with I, analytics. I don't know what it is because I, I, I've seen there. I'm sitting here watching, uh, you know, Florida's down 14. I'm like, well, why don't they just kick the extra point? But they go for two. Right. And then if they get it, because I guess if you go for two – you get it 50% of the time, so you're going to get it, the numbers say, you're going to get it one out of these two times, and we're down two, two scores, so we have to score twice. If we get it the first time, then all we got to do, if we kick a field goal, we win. Or if we don't get it, the analytics say the second time we score, which is a touchdown again because we have to score anyways, right. that we would get it that time and then we still be tied. So, again, this is what the, – the, the, So that's what they explain. I'm like – the challenge I mean, like, analytics. it makes sense, but, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes and sense, And then they but, got it, so then they were up. They're only down six. And I'm like, okay, well, it could be positive. Like, in that situation... But it took a penalty for them to get the second. It was weird, I, but yes. But in that situation, you know, in, in that spot in the game, too, your defense was playing well. So, you're saying you don't trust your defense to kick the extra point, make it an eight-point game, and then trust your defense to get you the ball back. You know, because there, there's a feeling there, too, that... The momentum at that moment, if you score and get the two-point conversion, you know, or rather, if you don't get the two-point conversion, it sucks some wind out of your sails. Now, I realize the players are also, right, you know, in, in part in on these decisions, but you know, there's the factors like weather, snow, you know, all that stuff that that don't 
are aren't they're not represented in the the data that gets spit out. That's just situational. Hey, here's here's some data on what's happened historically in these situations. It doesn't tell you what's about to happen. It just tells you what's happened in the past and the likelihood of the thing you're about to do. And if you're comfortable just making your decisions based on those numbers all the time, playing the odds all the time, okay. Like, I mean, I guess it's worked out for some organizations. The Eagles are a really analytically driven, heavily analytically dependent organization, and they won a Super Bowl kind of in an unorthodox way. They didn't do it with Carson Wentz, which I think we should probably talk about, by the way, Uh, which that seems like a perfect pivot point to something real quick. How about Jalen Hurts, your boy? Uh, roll Tide. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what's – do we have latest – what's he done? He, when do they play? i got to pull this up. I need to sca- – they've spread these NFL games out over three I, I, days. Here. But, Kyle, I like that they made uh, the seven-team uh, playoff teams. Yeah. Because it's, like, made the last two weeks of the NFL season mean a little bit more. Like, every game still matters, and we even in week 16, 17. I think it's kind of made the NFL a lot more competitive. You think? I, I, I've kind of enjoyed it. I haven't kept up with it that much because I'm so heavy in college. Right. But, like, watching these all these teams still have a chance to make the playoffs is, to me, um, as a – NFL fan. I grew up an NFL fan. I, I've learned to love college. See, that, that's that's really interesting. I, I love – That's interesting. I've always felt that. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I love that um, – I love that these uh, makes all the games so much more competitive. Okay, so we got Philly and Dallas today at 425. That's what I thought. I, I don't know what – I mean, did you see what Tiki Barber said about Carson Wentz the no. other day? said he's uh, he, that Carson Wentz is being about as bad a teammate as you could possibly be in this situation. That's what Tiki said about him the other day. There, I guess there's some, Why? Of the, some of the reporting in Philly was that, you know, he has no interest in sticking around in a backup role and, you know, very unhappy about uh, Jalen, you know, getting the starting job for now and – uh, I, again, this is reporting. I mean, I'm Neither sure he's one not of us happy. Are, I, I would not be happy. I wouldn't be happy either. But, like, the, again, the whole Jalen Hurts thing is so fascinating because over the past couple of years – I don't know if you call him a bad teammate. Has he helped – has he still been there for him? I, I, again, like, this, this is you see one situation, right? You, you see, know as well as anybody, what gets said sometimes in the media is not a reflection yeah, of what's going on inside the room. Philadelphia media. Philadelphia media. They're vicious. They are awful. And as a, as, as a city, as a as – a, like, when it comes to that Eagles team, like, that city is waiting for them to be miserable. The city loves to be miserable when it comes to the Eagles. That's what – that's the impression I've always got. I laughed at it when Sean Payton told us that in the media. He's been there. He's coached there. He's like, the media can't wait to rip at somebody in Philly. Like, they just can't wait. Yeah. And um, and the moment that they get a chance, they will rip, the, rip that locker room apart. And that's what it seems like they've been doing. You look at what's going on in Miami between Brian Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungabailoa. How about that? They have, like, this beautiful marriage. He, like, Tua's not playing that great. You know, he's not been able to do some things. Fitzpatrick comes in last night just ripping it. Ripping it. Ripping it. How about that? And He's getting his it, head ripped off. Right. And he completes complete a, a deep pass. ball down the sideline. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I mean. And then, like, two was, like, cheering for him. Like, they're jumping up, celebrating no matter who's out there. But you know as well as I do, that makes sense. Because, like, Fitzpatrick's always – he's he's an intense, competitive guy. But he's got a very laid-back personality. <laughs> and two is, like, the nicest person alive. As you, you know, I mean, you've met two, I think. Yeah, I, mean, he, I have. He's, he's the nicest kid alive. So that one makes some sense. I, I don't know, and I know that Jalen's a good kid. I don't know a ton about Carson Wentz. I, I don't do, either. I do, I do know that you're 100% right 
that uh, first of all, the Miami media far less, <laughs> far far less, you know, vicious. No doubt, they they just want to see some good, some some good going Philly, on. Philly, Boston, New York, <laughs> uh, Chicago, they they'll rip your ass. I mean, they will. they will stay in it too. Oh my god! In, in Miami, they're going to the beach. I mean, yeah. it's it's a very other things to do. It's a very lax media market. <laughs> like I, I work in sports radio, and I have for the last ten years. Uh, I can tell you right now, Boston, New York, Philly, they pull big ratings up there. Down in Miami, they got talented people, but a lot of those folks, like, hey, are they winning? They went in. Cool. We'll check you out. They suck. Now we're going to the beach. We're going to the club. So it's a di- it's a very very different environment. But you're right. You know they've been calling for Hertz up there. He all they care about is who's going to that. So they win the Super Bowl, right? I don't know if you remember this or not. Philly wins the Super Bowl. The following season, um, the Panthers go up to Philly. Cam Newton's still the quarterback. They go up to Philly. Carson Wentz starts the game. It's cold and windy up there. Panthers play like shit for the first three quarters of this game. I remember And then this Cam game. leads them back to a win in the fourth quarter. I think they scored like 20-something unanswered, and they win the game. Mind you, Philly had just won the Super Bowl, not eight months prior. And we do this segment, or did this segment on my show, the Monday following a Panthers win, where we would take the, the other team's radio broadcast, mm-hmm. and we'd pull out the funniest moments, right? The, just their, their frustration, their heartbreak, and then we'd take their post-game call-in show. And we'd bring in some of the craziest listeners. And I called it loser radio. And we'd just make fun of them. They were, ca- they were screaming, calling for Peterson to be fired. Um, I mean, just it, this was eight months after they'd won the Super Bowl. So you're right. All they care about up there, who's going to win now? And if you're not winning now, get out of the way. We don't care if they paid you. We don't care if they drafted you. If you're not winning now, we hate your guts. Get out of the way until you come back and win some more. So I, when I first saw this move, I thought, all right, well, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't for sure if Jalen was going to be ready because I hadn't seen him. You know, they hadn't had him preseason, so I don't know. I haven't right. seen him play at all. No. But I, I was like, I just don't want him to feel rushed. I want him because I, I wanted him to be successful. And I just, you know, you just never know when you're thrust in position. Not only that, but the Eagles roster is not great. At least that's what you think. But yeah. it is the NFL roster. They dealt with Car- some injuries too. Right, right. But with Carson Wentz, you wouldn't have thought they had any weapons around, right? But then all of a sudden when Jalen Hurts, it makes you know more guys are open. Yeah, it's true. He's creating. He's thinking less. And when the, when I first saw this switch, I, I, I thought that it would be just for this year. Why At the are most, I thought Carson I'm Wentz sorry. would still have to be uh, the starter going forward for the Eagles. I Why mean, are there so many quarterbacks in this league right now? You, you can answer this. Why are there – and I, I say so many, but there are, I mean, a handful of guys – Justin Herbert, now he's a rookie, okay, but he's had a really good year. Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, uh, I would even say Lamar Jackson. Um, who else? Who else? There's one, I'm missing somebody right now, but some quarterbacks that have come into the league that were anything but polished passers or proven enough arm talent that they were expected to be great throwers or have success in the NFL. And they're starters now. They've come in and they've either you know, proven people wrong or they've taken jobs. It seems like there are more of those in the league right now than we've seen in a long time. Am I crazy about that? Because there are some guys starting right now that people thought just had no chance to be long-term NFL quarterbacks. Man, it's not so much about no chances NFL quarterbacks. I mean, the game has evolved to you all need to be having mobile quarterbacks. I mean, mobile. Taysom Hill has been starting for the New Orleans Saints up until recently. Now, I don't know how great Taysom is under every other offensive coach. You know what I mean? That's a good point. But at the same Sean time, Payton, didn't he go like 23 of 33 last right, week? Right, right, right. But Sean, is, Sean has that offense built around him. So you, you also Fair have enough. to understand you can't just put a quarterback and have somebody run their offense. Sometimes the offense needs to fit around the quarterback. That's why Baltimore has been successful. Baltimore went all in with Lamar Jackson, and they built that whole offense around him. You and I are watching the Chiefs right now. 
Right. Nobody thought Patrick Mahomes would be this. Nobody. Uh, and that's I don't not know. This, I mean, there were some people, don't get me wrong, there were some people who were really high on him and thought he had right. a chance, but nobody thought he would establish himself in his first three years as right, you know, the best, fast. best quarterback in the game. I don't think this fast. And, and he went, uh, what, 10th overall, second quarterback off the board behind Trubisky, and he did go two spots ahead of, of Deshaun Watson. You know, but he was a gunslinger out of Texas Tech who'd never won more than seven games in a regular season out in Lubbock playing for K- Cliff Kingsbury, and the Chiefs traded up 17 spots to get him when they already had Alex Smith and they were a playoff team. You know, so, I mean, again, we knew Mahomes was a prospect. We knew he had some arm talent, but look at this kid. I mean, he is the best quarterback in the NFL, and he does things that we haven't seen people do in a long time. I mean – I don't it, think that's hyperbole, is it? I'm not, no, you're – but the Chiefs bet. Chiefs are so glad that they did that, though, because the Saints were going to take him next. Were they? No doubt. Dude, but the thing <laughs> – I, I always hear the Saints were about to take somebody if somebody else hadn't. Maybe that's just because we expect them to get it right. They have drafted really well down in New Orleans for the most no, part. No, well, they need a quarterback. Well, no, no, I, I know. I'm just, talking, <laughs> I'm just saying generally speaking, though, like I hear like all the time the Saints were really high on this guy. Or Which hot guy? On this, Who said that? Just in different conversations oh, yeah? I have oh. every day on the air about you oh. know, certain players that ended up elsewhere. Oh, yeah. But, again, I, I think in part that might speak to the fact that the Saints have been really good in the draft. No, they have drafted. They've been really, really good in they the NFL have. draft. They have. And, and now it's coming to where, like, man, how are we going to be able to pay all these guys that have been so good for us in the draft? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, it, bill, the bill's come and due. I mean, have you seen the numbers, by the way? If the salary cap is as low as they think it will be with all the revenue loss, I think it yeah. was $175 million, that means the Saints are going to start the next season $90 million over the caps. They're going to have to cut $90 million just to start the league year. Yeah, um, I, I think that – I think – I don't think they're going. I think their NFL is going to do something because it's not only the Saints. A lot of teams are going to be in a lot That's of true. money. That's true. But, e- but so. even if it's even if it's like the 198 they thought, the Saints are still going to be 77 million over the cap. Or sorry, 67 million over the cap. Oh, they knew all this though. I know, but I'm just like they, they went all in. This is Drew Brees last year. They they Can't went all them. in. Can't blame them. You mean you? You know if you. This whole division's going to look so different two years from now. <laughs> yes. It's going to look crazy different. Well, that was two the years thing. That's why I always try and tell people that I think the Panthers have a little bit of a chance because of yeah. the, you know, the way the, the thing's all built. I got I to gotta ask you a question. All right. And so, you got to pass me one. Uh, yeah, I do got to pass you one. You do. And by the way, the, uh, I gotta get, we got to get our sizes written down. Okay. We got to get our size. We, uh, oh, I hate this stuff. We got to get uh, the, the, the folks at Whitetail are sending us all kind of sweet gear, the folks over at Whitetail Smokeless. So they want to know what size we are. And I'm in that weird spot where uh, I've been working out again, and uh, I'm highly motivated right now. All right. So I was getting after it the last couple of days, and especially yesterday. And I'm like in between the XL, which is where I should be, and the double XL, which I hate buying because it's like admitting that I'm too fat. Yeah. And so like I, I want to tell him XL because I'm I'm close to being back, you know, where I need to be in that thing. But yeah, I'm, I, get I'm, the XL, Kyle. I'm also motivated Kyle. by you We're know XLs, I'm going to let you shave the beard off into whatever facial hair you want to. When, when, when I hit that 225 mark, I can't wait. When I, I'll, I'll pass you a white tail dip here in a minute, but that's the goal. When I get in that white tail hoodie, I want to be able to say comfortably, "I'm back in an XL where I should be." No doubt. Just make sure you order two for your boy. You order two? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll get, so what uh, do you are you what are you rocking these days? I'm are you a large. You're an XL. I'm always XL. You fill it out. I'm an XL. Okay, I like that. I like that. We'll get that gear in. Because, you know, the, like, especially after I wash. If I, like, if I wash it, I still want to be able to fit. No, that makes sense. So I don't want to get a large because if I wash it, then it gets too small. I don't know about you. When I, I was never like a uh, – never mind. I was going to say, I, 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 the older I get, the more I, I appreciate spending a little bit of extra money on stuff so that it lasts. Yeah. And, and it's not cheap. And you know, that, I don't want the one washing. I can't no, no, again. no. I know what you mean by that. Anyway, getting that. back to it. So I, I brought up the uh, the Hornets a little while ago when I was talking about pre and post. Lamelo Ball. I got it. Well, yeah, but I got to see how you feel about this. So 
the Hornets here in Charlotte, and I know we have people that listen all over the country, but, you know, LaMelo Ball's here, and it's exciting. He's a ball brother. By the way, we made it one – I'm sorry, zero games. I thought it was one game. LeVar Ball told TMZ on Wednesday morning that uh, LaMelo should be starting and that it's uh, the Hornets <laughs> need to stop fooling around and put LaMelo in the starting five. <laughs> we hadn't even started the regular season yet, and LeVar's already on this right now. So that started. And then uh, I don't know if you saw the thing about uh, P.J. Washington showing up out of shape. Did you see this? No. So P.J. Washington was uh, second-team All-NBA rookie last year out of Kentucky, plays for the Hornets. I know who he is. I'm for anybody out there. Because, again, you oh, and yeah, I have yeah, a lot of people, me. Charlotte Sorry. people listening, Sorry. but we have a lot of okay. – pe- I saw the other day we had people listening in Birmingham, in Belgium, in Columbus, Ohio, somewhere out. So we got people all over the place. So P.J. Washington showed up out of shape. And – they started the regular season 0-2. They've got uh, – they lost to Cleveland, horrible basketball team on opening night. <laughs> then they lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder last night, even worse basketball team. Uh, both of those teams could finish dead last in the Eastern and Oklahoma Western Conference. Oklahoma City – They blew it up. They blew it up. They blew it up. So the Hornets lost both of those games to start the season. People are not happy about it. But, you know, it, I, I talked to both Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego about this the other day, and Kupchak, of all people, was like kind of giving P.J. a little bit of a – not a pass, but was saying, you know, in his defense, it's been a strange offseason. He's not the only guy that showed up not in the, the best shape. We had a, a shortened preseason, shortened training camp. How did they so, know he was out of shape? Well, oh, but he looked heavy, and <laughs> uh, his conditioning hasn't been great. He's, he was a 30-minute-a-night guy, 30 minute a night guy last year. Uh, he only played 21 minutes on opening night. And this was after Borrego called him out publicly for not being in shape. Uh, he's not the only one, by the way. James Harden did show up a little bit out of shape when he came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but so, James Harden making like – But like Terry Rozier, you know, who went off for 42 points the first night, they're all talking about how Terry went like through these crazy offseason workouts, found creative ways to get fit, lost 15 pounds. This dude is dominating to start the season. Mm-hmm. Is, it a, is it a reasonable excuse to you? For guys like P.J. Washington to have shown up out of shape, saying, well, it was a strange offseason. No, there's no excuse. You're a professional. Okay, I, that, that's, what, that's the mindset that I thought you would be in if I asked you that question. You are a professional. Look, Kyle, I, I like I like P.J. Washington coming out of Kentucky. I thought it was uh, – my boy told me he was going to be a pretty good pro. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm questioning things off the court. This is all off the court. Yeah. I, it, ain't, it ain't nothing to do with his own game for me. If I got any question marks with him – it's all off the court. Okay. Well, I've had some people on the radio show suggest the same thing. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Sometimes you, you just got to point I mean, other places. He got, he got linked up with, a, with an Instagram model, you know, in the offseason. Is that what Dude, you call her? I, I don't know very much about <laughs> her. I don't know very much about her. I, I, just being honest with you. Somebody, right. somebody the other day told me it was Colin Kaepernick's ex-girlfriend. That's what I, it, I don't think. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's true. true I, I'll, I'll, I have the Google machine in front of me. I'll look it up. All I know is somebody said, look at it. Somebody said, look at PJ's Instagram, and you'll know right away why he hasn't been focused this offseason. And I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe the kid fell in love. You know, maybe, that's exactly what it is, man. Maybe he fell, now that's not an excuse, but maybe we all it happens to all of us. Maybe the kid fell in love. I'm happily married. I got a gut on me now, so I get it. But you know, but you know how it is, though, man. When you're young, bro, I get paid you to fall, talk. You fall, you fall in love with that first really good piece of womb tang, bro, and that's what happened to him. That's what it is. <laughs> he fell in love with that first piece. He got his nose up in the air, Kyle. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he a little got bit. His, got his nostrils wide open. They Kyle. can put us in a trance sometimes. <laughs> Dude, no doubt. They can put us in a trance. My, my lovely bride sure, sure did. So, I, again, I don't Kyle, – Kyle, look, I don't understand it. I know men, men, we cannot live without women, bro. It's something about them for majority of men, especially when they get the, like, the one that just 
makes them go la la crazy. Like right. it happens to all of all people at some point in time. It, it Just does. like most women at some point they get their end up getting their heart broke. I'm I'm not looking forward to this day when it happens to my daughters. Oh, can but, we not? Come on, man. But Should it we? happens to every every young woman probably majority I'm of the time. I'm having these sudden realizations of all the things that I'm going to have to deal with. Right. Like, this is all real. Kyle. I'm going to need you to be my Uncle Mike Lowry. In I those got situations. you, dog. I'm going to need you to do that for me in those situations. Shitty, shitty, bang, bang. <laughs> I got you, Kyle. <laughs> Dude, I, that's the other thing. So I don't know what the age difference is with you and your wife. My wife's like five and a half years younger than me. Mm-hmm. She's 29, which doesn't sound like a lot until I start to like watch movies with her something. Sometimes and realize all the things that she hasn't seen, all the classic movies that she hasn't seen. She'd never seen Bad Boys. She didn't get the not the, the first one. None of them. Oh she, man. She didn't get any of the references because I, I made the reference early in her pregnancy about uh, you know that that Uncle Mike Lowry scene in Bad Boys Two, and she had no idea what I was talking about. So I was heartbroken. But now I'm getting to relive all these stories, all these phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal movies with her. Oh, it's, I, I get to go back through all the great movies of like the 90s and early 2000s and make her watch all of them. It's phenomenal. I forget how really, first of all, my man Will Smith was doing his thing in the first Bad Boys. This guy was running like a real dang athlete. He was doing everything in that first one. So it's just really funny when you go back and you see like. A how, time to kill. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, that's Sandra real old Bullock. School. That cast is, un, but that's, she'd never seen it. And, like, Matthew McConaughey's my guy because, you know, I'm reading the biography right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took her through, like, a filmography of, uh, of, of Matthew McConaughey. And, she, and we, the first thing we hit was A Time to Kill, which I think is the greatest cast maybe ever assembled in movie history. But that part's really fun. She hasn't seen, like, My Cousin Vinny. She hasn't seen uh, Good Morning Vietnam. She hadn't seen – I don't know if I've seen Good Morning She hadn't seen Vietnam. White Men Can't Jump. Oh my Which gosh. was, I mean, I was, when I, I, I just had to, hit, I had to hit play. She said I'd never seen it, and I couldn't even respond, so all I could do was hit the play button. That's, That's it. That's a great movie. That's all I could do, man. So, yeah. It's I got to write that down. It's, Good morning, Vietnam. With Robin Williams. you never seen it? No. Oh, it's fantastic. But do you know what it's about? No. So he's a, uh, he's, you know, enlisted army. But he's a radio DJ in Vietnam, and that's what he was. That's what he enlisted to do because you can. There's it's there are few spots in the military, but the army you can enlist as a, a an army journalist, and you, uh. you still have to go through basic training and all that stuff. But then you go off to your job training. So Robin Williams plays a uh, a radio DJ in Vietnam who all the American troops listen to on uh, the American Forces Radio Network oh, out there. Oh, sweet. And it's an old movie, but it's phenomenal. I would probably love to see that. Okay, you I, need I, to I, get I, a little, little pinch of whitetail here. Is that what you yeah, need? Okay, let me get that. So, Keep talking. I will keep talking. So I, I, first of all, I'm a big fan of Robin Williams, and I'm always into history movies or anything about wars in the past. Or uh, I'm just really into those type of movies. I don't know why. It's just what I've always tried to listen to or really get into when it comes to those things. Well, yeah, there's just there's a lot of good classics out there, and so it's been. I, I've made her made her like I've I've gotten her to rewatch some of the the great ones with me, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm searching the back right I, now. I'm always trying to think of like really good older movies that my wife, my wife's only two years younger than me. So okay, she's so pretty much caught so up. Are, every, it, are, okay. we, yeah, yeah, everything's the same. And she was only one grade behind me when we were in high school. So we, we've, we've watched most of these uh, things together. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's fun to go back and relive some of that. Anyway, getting back to it real quick, because we were talking about hoops, guys being out of shape. So when I wrap this up, when we finish up this episode here, uh, whatever, we finish it, uh, I got to go to work because I've got the Hornets again tonight. Hornets are playing the Brooklyn Nets, and KD and Kyrie are demolishing people right now. That, 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 that's a good Brooklyn team anyway. It's not even close. It's not even close. 
Right, so so the, the, what's no no because I want to I know we're gonna talk about Brooklyn because I've been watching Brooklyn and uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie are just eating cats right now, um, but maybe some of the teams we played they're gonna they're demolish as, the Hornets tonight. Oh, I hope I'm wrong about that, but there's no I don't think there's any chance I'm gonna be wrong about that. That's, no, we're worried about the Hornets being in shape. Yeah, and and, and Lamelo, you know, getting more than 15 minutes right now, so that that's gonna be ugly. Yeah, for sure. I, but I. Everybody seems to like Lamelo's game so far, though. Um, I think most people have been very impressed with the way he's distributing the ball. Of course, a uh, very natural passer. He's the real deal. Now I say that when I, he's he's the real deal in terms of talent and and potential. Right. You know, you know as well as anybody, you know, going through the NFL grind, that at some point potential has to turn into production. Right. And it's at that point you can be a pro. Yeah, man. But like he had, he's he's they he came in. They said he was six seven. He's but apparently tall. he measured at six eight. I believe so. It. He's six eight, six ten, six eleven wingspan, and I mean he doesn't play exactly like him. But there's some Magic Johnson to his game yeah. because he's out there at six eight, and he's always been a point guard. And and his vision, his ball distribution, those things are elite. That's the real deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really bad on opening night shooting the basketball, but then last night uh, got super hot in the fourth quarter, scored nine points in like I don't know two minutes or something like that. Hit some deep threes. So it's going to be up and down. Right. You know, he's going to have some nights where he can't hit water from a boat. His his jump shot's not broken like Lonzo's is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, that's maybe that's not fair to Lonzo. They've they've worked on it, but Lonzo's jump shot is like a three pl- three act play. Mm-hmm. You know you, that thing needed to be fixed. It wasn't yeah. as bad as Michael Kidd Gilchrist, but it was it was funky. With with Lamelo, it's more like his. It's more of a push shot. His release points a little bit too low. Uh, there's they, they need to get his release point up, but it's not it, that that can be worked with. Hey man, Sean Marion played in the in, NBA exactly. For, exactly. For it don't look as bad as exactly. That. So not bad, but like no. Different. But he's Lamelo is the real deal. It's about whether or not he wants to put in the work. If he wants to put in the work, that kid can be really special out yeah, there. Yeah, man, I agree. Jason Kidd couldn't shoot a lick when he got to the league. No, he couldn't. But, you know, and you know the joke, it was, it was ace and kid because they couldn't find a J. And, <laughs> and so that was the joke, you know, when, when he got to the league. But he was he, – he figured it out, and by the time he retired, Jason Kidd was a, an elite three-point shooter in well, the NBA. Well, he was the all-time leading uh, three-point shooter, I think, in, in the terms of makes by the time he had left the NBA. Speaking of three-point shooters, before, we, we, for, I, before I forget, if anybody hasn't seen it, it doesn't sound – me talking about it can't really do it justice, even though you'll, you have to see you'll fully video. appreciate it. That video of Steph Curry shooting corner threes for five straight minutes and didn't miss, he had 103 three-pointers in a row without missing. That's, that's not supposed to be humanly possible. Did you, I, mean, I don't know how you stay in that kind of zone or groove. I, I, I don't know. Over five minutes, Kyle. It was. How, where does that rank on the list of most <laughs> impressive athletic feats you've ever seen? I'm just glad they somebody got it on tape because nobody would believe that. I mean, I know great shooters have probably. I mean, I'm sure Ray Allen's done something similar to that one time in his gym or you know, and shoot around. But 103 straight three pointers. Now, yeah, I know he wasn't being guarded and he was in rhythm and you know having balls fed to him perfectly. But still, that's you're not supposed to be able to do that. Most people can't make. I mean, the average bear, we don't even make that many free throws. No. You know I mean, I mean uh, not even free throws, but layups. Try to make 10 free throws in a row. Yeah. Try I to mean, do that first. I mean, I can't make 10 straight left-handed layups. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to say right-handed. Oh, I can do that. But left-handed, I'm, I don't know if I can make 10 straight. That is Wide amazing. open. Nobody around. That's amazing. Most people do shoot-arounds, Kyle, with nobody around. No. And they can't make 105 shots. No. no. I, you know what I mean? It, Again, it's it's so it's like this low key thing of him just shoot, but it's it's incredibly impressive to watch. Yeah, if you haven't, it. I don't know what what measures up to that. 
You know, I'm not sure if it's a guy hitting out, you know, 50 home runs in a row in batting practice. I don't know what the equivalent of that is. That's, that's absurd. I, I don't know either, but that's the first time I'd ever heard of it. And um, it's amazing. Look, everybody knows how great of a shooter Steph Curry is. He has changed the game of basketball because uh, what him and Klay Thompson have been able to do in Golden State has made everybody aware that you must be a three-point shooting team. Yes. Just to be able to keep up because it's a game of armed races and – uh, the the way they've been able to shoot that look like bad shots to the rest of the world is not a bad shot to them. And they make them like it's crazy. It's unfortunate that Clay Thompson's hurt again. Um, but it's amazing. This guy, Steph Curry, is the greatest shooter that I've seen. Is is Alabama going to win the national championship? I, I do think so, Kyle. Because you, um, you and I are going to talk about this. We're, we're, we got to wrap this up. I know you and I both have to get to, get to some places. But we're going to get back at this here in a couple days. I don't... <sighs> Nick Saban's been doing this for so long now that we've heard a couple of different times people say, oh, is this Nick Saban's best team, right? How many times have we heard people say that in the last couple of years? Uh, maybe I'd say two or three times. Yeah. You know, maybe so, try to make the claim this is Nick Saban's best team. They're doing it again, saying this is Nick Saban's best team. Now, you know, getting Jalen Waddle back, do, do, you, do, do they think they can get Waddle back for this game? Uh, no, not this Okay, game. didn't think so. National championship game, maybe. I don't think so, but I don't think Jalen Wilder plays. I was going to say, I, I don't, I don't know why he would risk it. I can't imagine he would. I mean, I've seen crazier things. Yeah, I mean, I get it. If, if you were ever going to you know, risk it, so to speak, with guys dropping out of bowl games. Like North Carolina had three guys dip out of the Orange Bowl uh, earlier and, this and week. And why would they not? Well, and that, right. You know, but that, if you're playing in the playoff with a chance to win right. a national championship. Then you would. Then you, you would do it. Yes. You would absolutely. How do you feel about that, though? First of all, you know, Alabama – Best team ever, maybe. No, Nick Saban's best team. If they win a national championship, could you even could you make that case that it's Nick Saban's best I, I team? I think if they win a national championship, you definitely could make that case. Even with this defense and some of the great defenses he's had in the past. Yes, because none of those teams had to do what this team did, which was win 10 SEC games, go undefeated. And if they have an undefeated season, you can definitely put them ahead of everybody else and say that what they've been able to accomplish with the offense and the way that – look, football's played differently now. I watch it. I watch it. A lot of it. A lot of it. And you can't play – So all the rules have changed in football, and they all benefit the offense. That's just what it is. This right. whole targeting rule – Nick Saban it, said that, by the way. You can't – you can't – I when I played, we were trying to shut teams out. That was our goal. We're going to shut them out every <laughs> single game. You can't play like that anymore. It's impossible. The rules don't fit it. You can't hit guys. You can't, you can't really tackle. The way that they're allowed, the offensive linemen are allowed to go four yards down the field and the, they can still throw the ball, it's hard to defend. Like, I can't come downhill and stop the run because they're throwing the ball right behind me every time, even though it looks like run because the offensive line are coming off the line. Like, that used to be illegal. Yeah, it did. That is now legal. Remember what so Pat it, Fitzgerald called it? He said it's what it, Pat Fitzgerald called the RPO the worst form of communism, I think is what it, he called it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Did he? I'm telling you, you can't do it. So that so I, I can't make that argument because the game has changed. That's why I give Nick Saban so much credit because he has constantly evolved. He hasn't stayed the same. His defense still looks the same. But even defensively, he's given up some different things and tried to do some different things to try and keep up with today's game. And offensively, they've completely evolved from like a run-first team or this team to do whatever it is to keep up. 
And uh, so that's why I think Nick and what that's why you could make the case for this year's team being maybe one of his greatest, if not the greatest. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And by the way, it was Pat Fitzgerald. He called the RPO the purest form of communism is what he called it. And, and Saban said it like two and a half months ago. He was like, listen, and he said it really begrudgingly. He was like, I just think the days of dominant defense winning games in college football is probably, probably over, probably behind us. And you know it killed him to say that. It's the truth. But he's probably been coming to that realization for a couple of years now. I mean, the pass interference, I mean, now – it used to be used to, you used to be able to hit him and all kinds of stuff. Now they throw a flag on you if you don't turn around and look. Which that is not pass interference. No, okay, that's fine. No, you're right. They, it, it, it's like the rules all benefit the offense. There's no question about that. And it, it's just really tough to play. So you think they bang Alabama? You think they bang Notre Dame pretty good then in the, in the semifinal game? I, I just I don't know where Notre Dame has the advantage at. That's fair. No, I, I I think that's completely fair. So I, I and think that, I don't I, I think this year was a great year for the college football playoffs to make an excuse or change the rules. They should have put eight teams in. No, well that we're headed there. By the way, no, I, I don't think every year is necessary. We no, should no, not no. react. I, I think I, I think twenty twenty was a special version. It was because in all honesty, we could have been just fine with the computer system this year. The two top teams are Alabama and Clemson. We'd have been just fine. The rest of them, they don't. Okay, I, I can agree with that. But this, and I actually used you as an example of something when I was making the opposite case on the air the, just the other day. All right. And you didn't hear this. I would and like so, to hear this. First of all, I think we're headed in that direction. Our boy Michael Felder, you and I both love Mike. He's one of the smartest college football guys out there. You know, Mike said uh, he, the way he framed it, and I agree, he said that this is a, a bottom up revolt. You know, and everything in college football is done top down. You know, the, the powers that oh, it's they, the blue bloods. It's the blue bloods. Everything, and I come from one of those. But this this is a bottom up revolt where, you know, we see now not just coaches and media types or not just media types, you know, and, and, and those kind of individuals, but coaches, more of them, conference commissioners, Mike Oresco going on Feinbaum and talking to Pete Thamel saying no more. He said, we've talked about uh, expanding in, in private, but he didn't say it publicly out of deference to the college football playoff committee. He said, but from now on. We're getting loud about it. He said, because our conference, the AAC, has been playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game for six of the last eight years. You know, he said, we're just asking for a chance, you know, to go in there. And they've how many of these teams in the group of five have beaten consecutive Power Five teams in the past couple of years? App State did it last year, beating North Carolina and South Carolina in the same season. Mm -hmm. So, like, Coastal Carolina loses to Liberty last night in the Cure Bowl. Hell of a game, by the way. It was a really Got good chippy game. as hell, fun, great finish. You know, and Liberty beating Coastal Carolina for a lot of people was just like, well, this is just confirmation. Coastal doesn't belong in the playoff. Well, A, Liberty's really good when they're healthy. You know, Malik, Malik Willis is really good. He's an Auburn transfer, the Liberty quarterback. The kid can play. Well, you know. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, they go get their asses kicked in the first round. It's about these games are going to produce a lot of money, and there are a lot of angry people across college football right now from these conferences, from these teams, saying, you know what, this is kind of bullshit. That, There's really no point in us continuing to beat our heads against the wall if you're just going to keep telling us we can't come in the room. That's my biggest point, Kyle. That's why for 2020 – they should have made the rule. It would have appeased everybody, and you would have changed it up. You would have, you would have got – because who's to say – because I, in all honesty, teams three through eight, I, I don't know who's going to beat who. Three through eight, I have no clue. If Cincinnati was the eighth team in a playoff this year and they played Alabama in the first game, Alabama probably beats them by 25, 30 points. Probably do. They probably do. I, but, but how I, is that any different than Alabama, A, whipping Notre Dame, uh, other than it's Notre Dame and it's a different – but more importantly, that doesn't mean that the 3-6 I, matchup or the 4-5 right. matchup won't be phenomenal. Right. And if it's a playoff game, everybody's going to watch. Yes. And, and so, you know, the, the same people that well, – so, so, But I would almost want it to where I want my top two teams to get a bye week. I want those extra teams in. I think that's what they should have did 
did this year. Maybe so. Because because three through eight, it's a lot closer. And that's fine. And one and two, kind of like they're like, why are we gonna see them? It, beat and if you want to give those top two teams a bye, go for it. I'm fine with that. I, I guess the larger issue for me too is nobody wants to see Georgia right now. I promise you that. Oh no, nobody wants to see Georgia. But that'd be a great team to have. In but a then you'd also have less kids probably opting out because more kids will be in this pool of what they consider a championship. Nick Saban talked about this in an interview a couple of years ago. He said, you know, everybody complained about. You know, they complain about kids opting out of these bowl games and that they want to see these kids play bowl games. Kids ultimately want to do what's best for themselves and their teammates. He said, but when you separate everything else and make this about the playoffs and the championship and nothing else matter, he said, then why, why are the kids going to go play for it? Yeah. He's like, it used to be the Big Ten, their biggest thing was what, going to the Rose Bowl? Yeah. That was the biggest, biggest thing. tradition. That was the that if we went, we just want to get to the Rose Bowl. It was big, and when big now deal. that you put the playoffs and separate it, it's not that big. The kids are like, eh, it's just the Rose Bowl. That's why you. It's ha- you just have, the Sugar Bowl. That's why you when have three kids opting out of the Orange Bowl. Yeah, North Carolina thought they were going to be playing in the ACC championship potentially against Clemson when mm-hmm. the season started. They thought they were that good. Then they lost to Florida State, a bad Florida State team on the road. Then they lost to Virginia on the road in a game they almost came back and won. And then they lost to Notre Dame at home. So they were never going to the ACC title game. But the fact that they won their way back into position to now be in the Orange Bowl is, you know, a huge redemption for them. And it's the first major bowl game North Carolina's football's played in since 1950. It's been 70 years since North Carolina football played in a big New Year's Day bowl game like the Orange Bowl. And three players, De'Ami Brown, Chaz Surratt, Michael Carter Jr., all opting out and declaring for the NFL because they don't see playing in the Orange Bowl you know, as, as a big deal at all, even though it's a traditional big-time college football bowl game. And that's the issue. Mac Brown even said it this past Monday. He said, we, I think expanding the playoff would help curb some of this, you know, and, and help stem the tide of some. And now you don't have to agree with him, but that's what Mac Brown said. He thinks, you know, it would help that situation. So it's not going to help kids that still are not in the playoffs because North Carolina wouldn't be in the playoffs. So his players are still not going to show up for whatever bowl game you want to play, Mac. That's not happening. If you really want it, stop blaming the kids and trying to give everybody something to everybody. What you really need to do is charge up these bowl committees. Give these kids some insurance. Give them something or reason to show up. You want to say, all right, look, if you get injured in this game, you get $3 million. Kids would be like, okay, I might do that. There, there's more. Now, Insurance we, policies are out there and available. I was going to say, you and so I do that know can that's, happen. it's much more common now, especially for regular season stuff. For no bowl, doubt. For bowl games, I don't, I don't know the inner workings of that as well as you the do. The bowl but. should offer it. The bowl should offer it and pick up the tab. If they want these kids to show up in your bowl game, then you should pick up the tab for it and offer it to the players. Yeah, I was going to say. Nobody's offering it to them. Far be it for me to tell somebody else how to spend their money, but to your point, you got a lot of bowl directors who organize one game a year making 750k to run a bowl game Thank i mean you. how much does that insurance policy cost Thank you. that's what i'm wondering that's all Thank you. 100K? Is that what it costs? It would probably, for all the guys, uh, probably a couple hundred thousand. Okay. But, that, but again, I'm not saying you got to take it out of the bowl director's salary. I'm just saying that, you know, up until now, these bowl games are making a lot of money. But that's, right. I think that's part of the other issue, too, is that the bowl games aren't making the kind of money they used to. You know, we're seeing bowl game sponsors drop off. And sometimes it's for different reasons than right. others. But, like, you know, here in Charlotte, it, the Belk Bowl was, you know, it'd been around for a while here in Charlotte. It's now the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're but seeing. That's because some, Belk, I mean. Now that many, happens. We've seen bowl games change sponsors yeah, man, and, but and shopping online well, also affected there's been a lot of things of, yeah 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 but the, i think the overarching point is that it's it's not that i think putting four extra teams is going to suddenly erase the fact that alabama clemson are better than everybody else it's that 
you know, as I said about you on the show the other day, I said, you know, Roman Harper played at the University of Alabama. Period. Stop. You know, when, when you say you played at the University of Alabama, people know you could play football. Right. But what they might not realize is that if they're younger, especially, you didn't play for the Nick Saban Alabama team. You didn't no. play for the Bear Bryant Alabama team. The program was in a different place when you played there. And that's all I said was that 10 years from now, Nick Saban will be gone. Dabo Sweeney will either still be at Clemson or he might leave to take the Alabama job or he could go to the NFL. Anything could happen 10 years from now. Some other program will make some lightning rod hire, you know, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's Florida, whether it's Tennessee, you know, somebody like that, and will be a top college football because everything in this sport is cyclical. You know, 15 years ago, people thought the Texas Longhorns were going to dominate college football forever. USC. And now Texas is about – you know, top 35 program in America at best most years currently. So it tend, you're not making – you shouldn't make, you know, changes based on the way things are right now. Mm-hmm. you got to make changes based on the way college football has run in cycles, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of its history. And it's hard to, to realize that while we're in the middle of it that Alabama-Clemson won't dominate forever because nobody dominates forever. No. You know, things always – Alabama will always be at least good because they've laid a foundation unlike most anybody else has. No doubt. But they'll go through lean years by their own yes. standards because everybody does that. Yes. So put eight teams in this thing, you know, and you've already rendered those other bowl games meaningless to a lot of people. Blow out your playoff. Give us four quarterfinal games, you know, if you want to. Give us I two agree. semifinal games, a national championship game, and then if you want to do 20 other I think, bowl games. I think it does, I think it does um, promote – I think it will get more money because as long as you put the name playoff and you got a chance with a championship, yeah. more people are going to tune into no it. No doubt about it. And, and I, 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 think, I think if you get rid of the outside games, so if you make sure everybody plays 10 games, conference only, or within conference, like power, group, whatever they want to call it, and you have to play those, no small boy ball, because I don't want you getting unequivalent or equal value of wins. Um, and then if you can invite however you want to do it, that'd be fine. But I would also like to where you got to play for something, right? And I, I think you should almost do it in playoff like NFL. So you give a couple teams yep. a – a bye week or something. And I think all this legislation, you know, this is on the judicial side and the legislative side now in, in the federal government. You got you know, the Supreme Court taking up the case on one side. I think the Ed O'Bannon decision that's that the appeals oh, yeah. on it. And Name then on the legislative side, you got Corey Booker and Richard Blumenthal introducing this Collegiate Athletes Bill of Rights. You know, they're going to try to get voted on that, that changes the game. And so all of that does tie into – you know, I think an expansion as well, where if you're going to treat this more like a professional endeavor, you're going to have to make your postseason reflect that a little bit more. Well, not only that, Kyle, look, anytime it comes to college sports, if you really want the real answer, just fo- just follow the money trail. No question. Right? <laughs> but you know what the thing is, and you as a former big-time D1 athlete, you'd agree with this, when you follow the money, what you find is there is money for the athlete. Thank you. And, and, yes. and at worst – there was never any reason to prohibit the athlete from making money on their own, okay? And so that's what you find. And so for the people, and I like you got them too, my buddies, my dad's friends, grandparents, who, you know, this is not what college athletics was supposed to be. Well, those kids didn't build the ACC network, the SEC network. You know, they, they didn't sign those $300 million broadcast rights deals with ESPN. The conference did that. You know, they didn't grow college athletics into what it is today, but that's what it is. And so, yeah, it comes a point where they might be amateur athletes, you know, heavy quotes on the amateur. 
but they're also generating billions of dollars, and that's not something that used to be. That's not back in the '70s and '80s. They weren't generating billions of dollars. No, they were not. The attention wasn't there. You know, no. every game wasn't broadcast on TV, so it was a different world then. And you got these. And people you also now. didn't have grown men fighting you over have, high school recruits, right? That's your thing. Kyle. Uh, Kyle, you know what? You're gonna make me hurt some people's feelings because I realize you, there's some <laughs> dedicated journalists out there. <laughs> I just can't, man. Like, there's some cool stuff on those recruiting sites. But, man, I just can't get down with 49-year-old dudes, you know, threatening 17-year-old kids for choosing the wrong school, man. Hey, man. College football is one of the most uniquely American things. And that's why, that's why I want to preserve it. But in order to preserve it, you have to evolve it. You have to. I think they have to evolve. You ha- and that's what they're doing begrudgingly. Some of these guys are being dragged I, by their hair. I just, I told you, Kyle, I just think looking back on it, I always was one of those that's like, no, you know, we don't need more than four. I, I still kind of don't think that. I just think 2020 is a special year. That if it was the year to do it, this was the year to do it to show. I just think it would have worked. And then, but you would have told everybody, we're just doing it for this year because we don't have the capability to be able to tell you which are the top four teams because we didn't get to see everybody play all the sequel games and everybody didn't play outside of their own conference. So we're going to bring in more. There, there was and no everybody would have been like, yes. And, and then we said, hey, in 2021, we're going back. But this is a special circumstance. Everybody would be like, yes, cool, let's do it. And more teams would have got in. Everybody would have been happy. And we would have understood it was just a special, different year. And nobody would have complained. And but this instead, is the same year. This is the same year that BYU Coastal got scheduled on three days' notice. The same year that Notre Dame Everybody got changed stuff. Exactly. Notre Dame, on a whim, played in the ACC for the first ever time. Uh, Brian Kelly got the ACC Coach of the Year Award, which really kind of bugs me. Um, but, like, e- there's no excuse that you couldn't have put it together because everybody else Not was NC State's coach? No. No. no I mean, there, there were a couple of guys who could have got it. But Brian Kelly getting ACC Coach of the Year. How? They were good. Yeah, they, they, but like, they're in the I mean, playoff. I mean, they could, didn't beat anybody they weren't supposed to. Right. But that you're making the, exactly the point is that you could have reasonably given that award to Dave Doran, yeah. to Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, uh, you like, could, could have given it to Manny Diaz, honestly. I mean, <laughs> because they were not good last year. Yeah. And they finished 18th in the country. So, you know, that's, that's an award that a couple of guys could have gotten, but they gave it to Brian Kelly. So I, I don't I'm like it. I'm kind of over that. I'm, I'm kind of over it, too. So um, as we wrap this thing up, I know we got to get out of here real quick. There was something Kyle, you else. you see my beautiful wife just walking here? I did. I did. It's uh, – Okay. Champagne <laughs> poppy. I see you, mama. <laughs> <laughs> she just snuck in, grabbed herself a bottle. What did she grab? Was that wine or bubbly? What was it? Looked it looked like some bubbly. Oh, I was going to say, Sunday man. fun day uh, at Mount House. So you're pre-gaming uh, New Year's Eve already, huh? I, I guess so, Kyle. Party here for New Year's I, Eve? I, I don't even know. Um, my wife's family will still be here because they had, they're they going to have a, um, oh, buddy, a big s- snowstorm. They're going to be here like two, two and a half weeks because – a big snowstorm's coming up there uh, in South Dakota. They don't want to get stuck on the way back. I think they may get like two or three, four inches. So they're just chilling here? So I think they may chill here uh, for a couple of days after. Yeah, so I guess here. Yeah. I, see, that's the perfect time, though. The week between Christmas and New Year's, family just comes and chills. You don't know what time it is. Everybody's wearing sweatpants. So it's No all doubt. Good. Nobody's kind of moving. I got work tomorrow, but other than that, I'm good. It's all Monday, good. Tuesday. All right, so we got some plans for the next one. We're going to have some people drop by here and there. From now on. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, it'd be good to have some company yeah. on here, man. We're going to have some company in the next one. I'm going to get this pool table cleaned up. We're going to get this thing We're going to shoot some pool while we go. We I may, like that. We We're going to do that. that we'll, get this, uh, we'll get this whitetail smokeless gear in here, and we'll get it all set up, man. I can't wait, bro. Yeah, Appreciate that. Forward to it. Hey, good to see you again. Always, we'll brother. We'll do it again uh, here in a couple of days. We'll talk to you, uh, I think, New Year's Eve is what we're aiming for, probably. Let's do it. We'll, uh, we'll check back with you on that. For Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Merry Bailey. Christmas, Merry Christmas to everybody out Love there. Be well, work hard, be nice to people.